daughter is 28 years old today and I can remember taking her as a tiny little girl just able to walk to your holiday club around about 27 and a half years ago and I remember bringing her here and her having a great uh, time in the journey of her faith and can't believe she's 28 today my eldest is 31 and uh, it, it shakes you up sometime, I think. Where have them years gone? Uh, just a quick update on the Ministry of Off the Fence. We continue to be very busy down in Brighton Hove. God has been very good to us. When we first had the first lockdown, I'd imagine that our work probably doubled in, in a week. And then when we linked up with the different groups, we linked up with the council and all the different agencies with homelessness, we were able to get the homeless into hotels, work together, we're still very busy in the hotels, making sure that they've got accommodation once they close, making sure they've got the medications and everything else, very, very busy. Our gateway project probably trebled. Uh, and did travel in that first few months and continues to be high. Women at risk is a major, major issue. And many of you will know, it was about 10 weeks ago, we had the surprise shock within all of that to hear the, the building that we run from had to go up for sale because our landlords needed their church. They had roofs issues and they needed to sell it. And so we went and said, Lord, do you want us to have this building? And it was going to be with something that was totally fit for, for the whole project to have something twice the size would cost around about 450000 I thought it could never be in COVID period where... Our money seems tight all around, and yet within 10 weeks we've got around about 433,000. We're just about to sign for the building uh, this, this week. We're recruiting again. Schools work never stopped. And ministry-wise, uh, we are frontline and continue to be frontline. And there's never no shortage of the things that God wants us to do. So praise God, things are moving on nicely with Off the Fence. And it's an honour to be in the city where God has placed us and say, here we are, Lord God. Uh, they had us jabbed very early on, so I'm all jabbed up. And uh, they test us every, well, three days. Still, after the jab, I'm tested because we are working with such vulnerable people. Value your prayers as well for my Wendy, my wife. She's had long-term effects of COVID. She had it in March. And she's been very, very unwell ever since. And uh, it's been a real battle. So thank you ever so much for praying for us. Thank you ever so much for supporting us. We value your prayers. We're in some major high-line talks about homelessness, about women at risk, strategies that can make the difference, not only now, but for years to come. 
and we want to be part of it as God's people. Wherever I go to preach, I, whenever asked, well, would you do a certain part of scripture, I always say, yes, I will, but I need to recap. Just to know where we're at, why it was written, what was the basis. So I thought I'd do a recap this morning before we get to these wonderful passages about life. Of course, you'll know that it's the, the Feast of Tabernacles. That's why Jesus is talking again and again about life. But I want to take you back about the reason why this wonderful gospel was written. Our Bible has many human writers, but one divine author. Almost all the books of the Bible were responding to immediate needs of their time and in their place. But God gave them far greater meaning that would go through the ages. He edited them. So we need to know why was this gospel written? Then we need to ask, what is it saying to me today? And what does God want to say to us? So let's get a bit of that background. So we have a medical doctor called Luke. He was the only Gentile author in the whole of your Bible, non-Jew, to write this section of the Bible. All the other 39 authors were Jewish. He was from Syria. He was not one of the 12 disciples, so he had to gather very accurate eyewitness accounts. He was no preacher, but as a doctor, he kept meticulous accounts of what he'd heard and saw. He, of course, wrote the two books of the Bible, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Paul was his travelling partner. Luke always travelled with him. He was his medical companion. And he was the companion to the greatest missionary that ever lived. Luke had no idea that he was penning the Bible or scripture down. He was writing for one man only. The book of Luke and Acts are written to one man, the most excellent Theophilus. They had one purpose, to get Paul, the great missionary, liberated from a trial in Rome. Most excellent is, of course, a legal term, a title for a judge. And the judge wanted in details of why Paul was on trial and about this new faith. And was it a threat to the whole national image of Rome? So the book of Luke was written about Jesus, who founded this new faith. And Acts is really about Paul, the apostle. We call it the Acts of the Apostles. Yet there's only three of them mentioned. Peter has a main role, of course, in the Acts. But he's completely forgotten when Paul comes onto the scene. So we have here a book about Jesus and the new faith 
the Gospel of Luke, and Acts is about Paul, who had become the main mouthpiece for that newfound faith in Jesus. Of course, Paul had come directly to Rome to be tried. He was a citizen of Rome, you see, and he knew he had done nothing against the Roman law, just as Jesus had not. It was the Jewish authorities that had the problem. They were the ones that were stirring up the trouble. But unlike Jesus, Paul had Roman citizenship. And the Romans were in charge. It was a Jewish problem, not a Roman one. And in Rome, he knew he was not guilty. So that's the human reason why we have these incredible books. They were written as a defence for Paul and Jesus whom he followed. Incidentally, you probably already know, but it's important to know, Paul was released to continue his missionary work because of these books. Yet for a few years later, a maniac took over called Nero onto the throne of Rome and... Paul is then beheaded. But Luke, as I said before, had no idea that the overview he wrote for his friend, Paul, would be read and loved thousands of years later and preached in a place like this. It reminds me, whatever we do for God, it might be little or it might seem insignificant, but in God's hands it can change the world. So we have a brief for a judge here. Luke got his information when Paul was arrested first in Caesarea. So Luke goes to Jerusalem and he gathers all the eyewitnesses' accounts, people who could testify in a court of law, not hearsay, but eyewitness accounts. Luke goes to Mary and John and James and Matthew and Mark. Remember, Luke had never met Jesus. He could not be at the trial as a witness because he was not an eyewitness. Then Paul was suddenly shipped to Rome for the trial and he had to wait a, a further two years before his trial would be heard. So he's a house arrest. And it was there, Luke come alongside and he gathered all the information for Acts. So he got it straight from Paul's mouth. It was a great place for research. And it's very non-Jewish. He lifted the second class citizens up. It's not the Jewish worldview at all. He lifted up the outcasts, the Gentiles, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the poor, the downtrodden. Luke raises up the role of women. Ten women mentioned in Luke's Gospel. And of course a special place for Mary and Martha. It's a Gospel of praise, of prayer and worship. It's a Gospel for everyone. 
Jesus is for all, no matter what race or age or gender, rich or poor. No matter what you've done or have not done, Jesus will be worshipped across the globe. That's the message of Luke. Now we're all on the same page. We know why it's written. We know why it's there. So today we look at Luke 11, 33, verse 36. You see, the Pharisees had their religion and pomp. But instead of being light to the people, they had become a barrier to the things of God. They were turning people away from God. Just before these verses, Jesus says, Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. The wisdom of Jesus exceeds the greatest human wisdom. That's what he's saying. And the resurrection of Jesus will be greater than anything that they've seen or heard that's been spectacular. The question then Jesus addresses is, do we see the light for what it is? Life-changing, wonderful, magnificent, compelling. So it becomes the light of our own lives and it fills us with joy and wonder. It's about seeing the light. It's about two lamps. First off, the first lamp is Jesus, the Son of God. They were trying to stop Jesus from talking. Then verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket. But understand that those who enter may see the light. Jesus has just said about his wisdom and about his resurrection. I've set a lamp to the world, he says. My wise and powerful presence is greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah. This would have been staggering to the Jew. Jesus said, then I am the light of the world. I am the lamp that must not be hidden or missed. Then there's a second lamp. Your eye is the lamp of your body. The way the lamp of Jesus becomes a lamp for you is that you see him for what he is, what he really is. Your eye becomes the lamp of your body when you see the lamp of his greatness and his wonder and you understand what his death and resurrection has done. When your eye is healthy, he says, the whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, when you don't see it, your body is full of darkness. If your eye sees it for what it really is, if we can see him for who he is, then you will be full of light. You will be a blessing to the world, a wonder to the world. But if you don't, then you're spiritually blind. That's what he's saying. There's so many distractions, friends. For the Pharisees, their religion had become such a problem. Many bright things in this world that keep us from 
seeing the true light of Jesus. Be careful what you focus on. It might look good. Money, position, education. Be careful what you regard as being precious and attractive and compelling. If it's not Christ, it's a distraction. No matter how bright it seems for a season, candles seem bright until you put them up to sunlight, then they become redundant. We need to be invested in the kingdom. We need to be invested into eternity. Nothing should take the place of Jesus Christ in our life. Not wealth, not career, not social standing. The people giving Jesus the most trouble were the Pharisees. They should have known better. They had it all. But they really had nothing. Christ is the glory we were made to see. His light alone will fill us and give us the light of life. That's what it's saying. It gives us meaning in every part of our lives. And when that happens, we see ourselves and we'll shine off the rays of Jesus to a dark, needy, lost and broken world. Our cry should always be, Lord, open our eyes so our hearts can be filled with your light. Fill us with that wisdom and that power. Make our eyes good. Make us what you want us to be. That we will be lamps to a dark world. That is what Jesus is saying. You see, Jesus of Nazareth was shining in Galilee. But the people weren't satisfied with his life and mighty works and wonders. They wanted more. They wanted more signs. Give us wonders. They were asking for yet another miracle, verse 29. They were justifying their unbelief by not having done enough stunts and said enough words, perform more miracles to us, Jesus, so that we might trust in you. It was not their fault, you see. It was his fault. That's what they're saying. They didn't become his disciples because they didn't see enough wonders taking place. And they said, it's because of that we remain in unbelief. Doesn't that sound like today? Every excuse. It's everybody else's fault, but not Jesus' fault. But he is the light of the world. Dark Galilee had been lit up by him. Dark hovels of poverty and abuse had been transformed. Jesus' light was bearing and passed on to the lives that were being changed. And they were making change. And Galilee was a happier place. More ethical place. A better place. Because of Jesus. You could trust the workman and the tax collector. Husband kept their marriage vows. You had people that had been living aimlessly and lost had now seen the wonder of following Jesus. Broken lives have been put together. Sinful lives have been forgiven. 
children of the devil, would become children of God. Drunkenness and immorality had been put to one side. The place had become a safer place because Jesus was there. Magistrates had less to do in the city gates. The prophets had spoken, you see, of the very days this would take place. It had been prophesied of this miraculous time in Galilee. The people that dwell in darkness have seen a great light. And the world changed and their whole lives have changed. And they would gossip the gospel. Let me quickly illustrate what, what I mean here. If we had taken a walk, say, up to the base camp of Everest, we're up there and it starts to pour with rain. It's terrible. It's grown dark. All of a sudden, we're cold and it's dark. There's no light. We can't even see the hand in front of us. We're in trouble. And we're starting to despair. We know there's cliff tops all over the place. We're in trouble. We're scared stiff. And we're cold. No light. No hope. Then suddenly someone pipes up. Oh, I've got a flashlight in the backpack. What? What do you mean you've got a flashlight in the backpack? Get it out, quick. He hadn't told anyone. He couldn't see how essential it was to our life at that moment. Friends, we too have the light of the world. We must not keep it to ourselves. The risen Christ sent his church into all the world and told his disciples, you and me, to teach the world everything that Christ had said and done. To go into the world and to make disciples of every nation. We were not to be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We are the light. A healthy Christian is a witnessing Christian, building on the things of Jesus. One thing I can't stand, and this is an aside, is that I sit on a number of boards that give out money, and it's not until they're going and say, oh, let's be silent about this, we Christian. My goodness. We need to be out there, and the first thing we say, we are followers of Jesus. There's nothing to be sorry about. There's nothing to, to be shamed about. To follow Jesus is the greatest thing on this planet. To be free. To know that when you go to bed, you put your head on that pillow. If you never wake up, eternity beckons and wonder in the whole heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. The other thing, as an aside, that I've really felt this is saying, don't focus on the negative. Spend as much time in the word of God as we do the devil's news. 
I've had so many meetings in the last few weeks about mental health. Of course people are suffering mental health when they sit in front of the telly and watch bad news after bad news after bad news. It's just phenomenal. All the people are suffering from mental illness. Don't you think the news thrives on bad news? That's why we don't have good news. And people are stuck every day in our centres, in the places we are called to go. When we go to the police meetings, when we go to social service meetings, people have got caught in the trap. They're just watching bad news all the time. Christians, we need to be focused on the good news. Never have I seen so many people asking about their eternity. It's a wonderful time to be a witnessing Christian. Well, I'll finish with this. We need to be laser beams of light to the areas that we live in. When we have that, the other promise that comes later on is that you will have life and have it to its fullness. Christianity is not boring. Far from it. Christianity changes your heart, changes your focus. You become a child of God. The possibilities are mind-blowing. Here I am available, Lord God, when that happens. We have life to the fullness. Jesus is the light of the world. Amen.